0: Oh and welcome to Lost Explorers. My name is J. David Osborne, and that is Chris Sacknessum. Chris, how are you doing this evening? Hey,
1: David, I'm, I'm just, I'm really excited. I, I've had a really busy uh, last few days, several live performances of the new music and homemade instruments. Uh, I feel like I've got the university teaching thing under control now I I managed to excise this insidious back end of electronic nonsense that my students were being bombarded uh, with because of Norton the publisher who are not the publishers of my textbook a guide to creative writing in the imagination that publisher is Rutledge Press Um, But, you know, all of these big publishers just try to overwhelm uh, systems and students with just complete nonsense. And it took me a while to, um, well, just get that out of the system. So my students weren't being harassed by this because they're already so anxious as it is. This is their first, you know, few weeks at a state university many of them come from you know pretty humble working class environments and not a lot of experience of the world at large necessarily so i feel like i'm uh kind of getting that under control and that means that i have more time to do the creative stuff and i'm very excited about what you and i are doing it's linking in with the memory and alertness book which is getting more and more exciting In that deep, you know, sense of our heroes like Alan Watts and Terrence McKenna, I do feel uh, like I'm moving, you know, into a credible sphere of of kind of similar motion. So that's all good. How are you doing? Is it still hot?
0: No, the heat has finally broken. Uh, We had a nice 70 degree day today. Had to go get my battery changed out which is just one of those one of those things it's never a good time for it to happen but it does happen so that's all fixed up now and uh as far as the kids go on Friday the school sprung pre-ACT testing on us so today for So early? Well, check this out. Not even I teach juniors. Today I was tasked with overseeing a class of freshmen to take their pre-ACT. And it was um, you know, probably one of my least favorite days teaching because I'm not a big test guy. We take tests in class, but it's a small port, it's mostly a discussion-based class and participation. Um so it was a bunch of kids that I didn't really know and who didn't know me and we got on fine. In fact, we had about an hour at the end of it because of the way that the scheduling worked. I won't bore you with the details of that. I've Got the kids uh, all vehemently arguing about the existence of God, <laughs> which which was fun. There was uh, one kid who was arguing for the veracity of the of Greek mythology over Christian mythology. Right on. Now, I thought wow. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought it was cool, and I heard one kid say. Um, Man, how are you gonna, how are you gonna say Christianity isn't real when they scientifically prove that the blood of Jesus is still alive? I said, well, you can't argue with that. Well, that's the kind of science I can get behind. Not in
1: Oklahoma, <laughs> anyway. Oh man, that's exciting. Well, look, I, yeah. I feel good. Um, you know, it, it is interesting. I, I, you know, for all the the houses and problems I've had with. Uh, well, particularly the the university I'm affiliated with now, UNLV in Vegas. Um, the students are always good, you know, mm-hmm. they're certainly good people. I'm not saying they're they're the sharpest intellects in the world, and they certainly have come out of one of the most efficient uh, public school systems. Clark County is looking at uh, across K through 12 are they're looking at 2,000 vacancies. So if you uh, any of your colleagues are thinking about moving out west it would be a deal kind of like your situation i as i understand it where you've been taken on but you do have to get licensed as part of this process correct, correct? that that's correct. The, yep. yeah mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. they're looking at the same thing and it just i i think that we're going to have to continue to um keep education as part of a crucial mix in the show, because we are looking at a major, major crisis that is unprecedented in
0: American history. Um, The only thing that's going to make it work, I'm sorry to interrupt, but the only thing that's going to make it work, in my opinion, to fill those vacancies is to find it in the budget. You're going to have to lift those salaries up because it's just not appealing enough for people there was enough in the pot to sweeten it for me. Moving back to this hometown, having a built-in familial support system was a big part of it. But if I was being offered the salary that I have now in a strange city with no ties to it, um, I wouldn't be able to do it. I just wouldn't. I, it it wouldn't make sense on paper. So they're going to, I don't know how they're, I mean, I know they approved, the teachers went on strike, Oklahoma teachers went on strike a few years ago and got a raise, but it wasn't, wasn't anything special. Once teaching becomes a position that is paid, and I'm talking about in the seventy five to $80,000 a year range, you'll fix that deficit real quick because all of a sudden it'll seem worth it.
1: Well, I hear you, and I, I certainly don't disagree in principle. I, I think that there's no point in actual talking about dollar amounts because what is a certain payment rate in Lawton, Oklahoma, is is not the same in Seattle or Chicago, mm-hmm. or you know, it everything yeah. is is local and and specific to its own area. I do agree with that. I certainly think that that is a, a an important way of showing uh appreciation and acknowledging Mm -hmm. status and prestige a lot of what has happened in the teaching profession over well the course of your lifetime this is not something that just happened last week is is demoralization and we see this in other service areas as with the police that's a little bit more extreme but teachers have not been respected and Mm -hmm. that's something that is connected with salary but is also something separate um And I have, as you know, tremendous respect for teachers. I'm excited about you launching into this. I'm really proud of you. Lisa, the great love of my life, is a tremendous elementary school teacher. Uh, My mother and sister are both teachers. You know, I have a lot of of connection, skin in the game, so to speak, with teaching. But on the other hand, I don't think it's just about the money. And Mm -hmm. I do think an enormous number of teachers uh, need to be cleared out of the system. And I think we need to have a, a an old approach, almost like the Depression era thing of people living in, uh, well, like my stepfather, all of the people in, in his area in Iowa lost their farms and they moved into a schoolhouse together, mm-hmm. six or seven families. And people started saying, well, what can you do? What can you do? And we we'll, you know, well, it's really back to, uh, a basic level or a post-apocalypse level of who's got the skills, you mm-hmm. know, and we need to be teaching skills, perspective and and values. Um, the material is all there. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of what a lot of what these new teachers are doing is they're diverging from a, a tremendously vital classical system. That's mm-hmm. why it is classical. I mean, I don't know. how there, I went to a, a thing and a woman was talking and I will to give her any descriptions about her because you can, you know, imagine. But she was really about just removing Plato from all coursework at university level. Why? I mean, who knows? I mean, why? Why would you do that? It's ridiculous. But, you know, I would turn it around and say, I, I don't think you can escape Plato. I don't I think that's why Plato is still a name, a brand in our common parlance today. You can't get away from some of those ideas. You're kidding yourself if you think you can. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of these, uh, you know, relatively, you know, newly trained education major people, I sadly think the best thing would be to lose them. And to replace them with someone who, I mean, you didn't start off to be a career teacher, but you're a natural teacher. You do have some teaching in your background, you appreciate education, but a lot of what you're bringing is a vitality and a new frame and a connection with students and the material that the educationists can you imagine calling yourself an educationist? I mean, fuck's sake, <laughs> a teacher? Okay. Those people. We don't need to pay them any more money and we don't need mm-hmm. stronger teachers unions. No, we need to clear those people out and mm-hmm. get back to maybe offering help at, at uh, you know, gas stations, you know, and a little bit more customer service, a little bit, you know, fewer robo calls. Get those people doing what they're intellectually capable of doing, because it's not dealing with great ideas and excitement Mm -hmm. and they're not people people and not connecting (laughs) with students so what are they good for nothing Mm -hmm. let's get them out Mm -hmm.
0: yeah yeah i could definitely see that i could i think that everybody uh no matter what job you work you know the type of person that chris is talking about and i'm sure those exist i think i'm lucky uh where i got hired on the English department is, it's its all very good people. And the people who I've met have been good people, but there have been a few, a few outliers who have, I've just noticed um, the type of person who's doing unpaid work for the administration, you know, to make sure that, you know, I've just had a few like busybodies who've gone by my room and who have tattled that, you know. Mr. Osborne's doing this. Nothing, nothing, nothing that would get me fired or anything. Just little. And I asked, I said, "Who, who told you? Who, who's who's snitching on me?" And they said, "Oh, we, we're not gonna, we're not gonna tell you." And I said, "No, no, just, just let me know, please. I'd like to know." Good
1: for you. Look, don't take any nonsense from those people mm-hmm. for one single second. <coughs> not one second, because those mm-hmm. people are absolutely spiritually deformed
0: one know? time it was it was because the students were out of their desks and we get up we move we have we have I to hear you
1: i hear you yeah. bro that's the what you know
0: yeah i said no I'm that's that's what i'm no gonna do
1: explanations certainly mm-hmm. not to that middle management level of those people are in the waiting room of the mm-hmm. universe you know mm-hmm. And that's where they belong and they're Mm -hmm. angry about it and they just hate vitality to
0: any form. You know, Mm -hmm. fuck them. Fuck them. All right. Do you have a band and an aphorism Uh, for us today? Yeah.
1: All right. Well, I I don't know. I, I felt the need to get back to a kind of heartland, Oklahoma, Texas, you know, kind of Uh, Your neck of the woods sort of sounds. So the name of this band is Barbed Wire Tornado. They're sort of a ghost train, ghost town, garage rodeo country meets gangsta rap via psychedelics, DYI instruments, which I'm so into, as everyone knows and lots and lots of bareback ale, their own brand of beer, which they refer to as the least queer beer there can ever be. (laughs) Now, this is odd, okay? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. all of the iconography for their brand, bareback ale, is overtly gay, if not outright camp, such that a strange, subversive confusion arises. The conflict between message, presumed message, and the obvious physical imagery suggests that they're so deeply closeted they've turned the closet in on itself. (laughs) All of their lyrics and musical instrument treatments uh, simulate this ambiguity. The Mm. name of their current album is called Honky Horny Tonk. (laughs) And some of their singles tracks on the album are never too much beer Fossil cowboy and stiff
0: rattler. <laughs> I enjoyed that one. That one was fun. Never too much beer.
1: <laughs> well, it gets back to a crucial issue which we talked about last episode, and and I I got some good feedback on this that subversiveness subversion is a crucial aspect of art for us and for many people some Mm -hmm. sort of ambiguity some sense of confusion surprise possibility and the problem with the entire woke restorative justice political propaganda machine that is now the commercial arts entertainment and also academia and the media is that we all know what what the deal is and if you Mm -hmm. don't tell the law you get canceled and you know Well, that's just not very interesting. And a lot of people are getting just outright bored with that. And this is the one thing our culture really pays attention to is when people get bored and stop paying, they stop engaging. They go, no, I just, I'm not going to do that. You know, I want something more interesting. So I'm glad you dug that. And I've got a good aphorism. It's this is sort of language focused, it ties into. Uh, my theory, which is very, very important to our psychic defense manual and i's ideas, it's a big part of my memory and alertness book. It's a big part of my sort of life mission that the simplest way to introduce profound change into one's own life is to change the words coming out of your mouth, mm, get, sensual, mm, get mm, physical, mm. you know, it is about what you put in your mouth. It's about what comes out of your mouth and your hands, you know, the language that your voice and hands make. Voice and hands. We forget that. So here it is. There is a peculiar kind of overcast day discouragement to words like dirigible, shrimp paste, flatulence, and political correctness which is instantly cured by words such as anaconda, Mexican jumping beans, even barbiturates and saliva.
0: I'm writing this all down as you're speaking in my own shorthand. That is, I like when you do this. I like when you take a larger theme that runs through all the episodes but is largely unspoken and put it as plainly like as that the most profound way to change your life is to change what comes out of your mouth the way that you speak and communicate i too like the word anaconda by the way mm-hmm. um we have a list of vocabulary words that they can uh the kids can learn um it's it's very open what i what i teach there, there, are very few hard and fast, you know, things that I have to teach. The Great Gatsby, The Crucible, a few words. Uh, they have to do a certain amount of essays, but I'm the vocabulary words. There are some good ones on there, so I'm thinking about just putting, starting to put them on the board every day, and maybe tomorrow I'll put Anaconda on there. And well, just yeah, them... every word
1: does tell a story. You know, every word is a window into the whole concept of language. You know, this is the deep, this is the deep strangeness of language. Every word is quantumly connected to the entire strange organic system. And once people get onto that and get into the groove, there really is, you know, the old saying, you know, people can like music, but but does music like you? You know, mm-hmm. a lot of what is going on there is a deep attention to really subconscious, sublevel grammars of what makes music work. And the same is true of language, I think, in an even more profound sense. And vocabulary uh, is, is a window, mosaic, tiled, pixel version of that, of getting inside that amazing architecture or organic dynamism. And once people get excited by that, And I've seen that continue. I mean, I make that a religion in my classes. And uh, it only takes two classes to really get people up to speed on that. The first time they're a little bit muddled, you know, I have to keep pumping. But I do keep pumping because I'm an evangelist for it because I know it's true. I know that if you fall in love with words, that is the first level of, of being unstoppable, as an effective communicator. And as we communicate, so do we understand. Mm -hmm. That's a circuit, you know. As we speak, so do we listen. As we read, so do we write. The moment you get into that groove, there is a groove, you know. There's no groove if you don't get into it, even in, you know, music terms, dance terms, any terms, you know, it, it once you get that happening, it's like great sex when the friction the t- you know, everything is working, you know, mm-hmm. and you think, yeah, well, look, it really does need to be physically working for any kind of emotional, you know, or, or just psychological satisfaction.
0: It's Vacillate, phys- vacillate, aberration. Yeah. Aberration is a good one. Tumultuous. Yeah. Turbulent. These are all good words. No, I wrote that down too. As we speak, so do we listen. As we read, so do we write. I'm just copying you. That's all. I'm just, uh, just everything you say now, I'm going to write down on these giant index cards that I have. And uh,
1: Well, I, I appreciate, I, I want to spread the good word because I think, you know, it, it, it. it's important. Here's a really simple example. You know, you ask how many verb tenses are accepted in English. And Mm -hmm. the first answer always comes back: Well, three. Well, there are three platforms: past, present, Mm -hmm. and future. Of course, that's not the end result, though, is it? We we Mm -hmm. those temporal states aren't enough to deal with the complexity of life. So we end up between twelve and thirteen. Well, one way to think about that is a simple vocabulary thing, which also introduces the idea of homonyms to some extent. The, The connection between continually and continuously now we just did that you know as, as part of our vocabulary exercise we did torturously and tortuously continually and continuously the students work through what the difference between continual and continuous means and they get a lot more understanding about why we need verb tenses that are more complicated than just past present and future you know? Mm -hmm. So, but it's not me telling them, they see that themselves. They go, okay. Yeah, I I get it. Continuous is like constant without interruption. Continual is like regular, frequent, habitual, you know, and they start to make those connections. And yeah, so that's cool. Good, 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 good. good.
0: Cool. Cool. Do you have a an imaginative challenge for me today. I
1: do okay. I I, I hinted at this last <laughs> time I held this over because uh we wanted to do Malibu Dick last time and for people who missed that I think you should go back for that alone because I assigned David a an open-ended but somewhat uh directed uh noir Task of a Malibu, a female Malibu detective on the trail of occult conspiracies in weirdo celebrity seaside California. Well, this is a video game idea, and its working title is Unveil or The Castle of Curtains. As a player, you are a wandering troubadour lost in a vast chateau made more of fabric and membranes than even cyber coated bricks and mortar Mm -hmm. you hope to perform eventually for the empress but you may never find her in the maze of castle but to even have a chance of meeting her you must impress and win over hierarchies of gatekeepers Each gatekeeper will have some kind of challenge for you. Some of them are simple, some very much not. Some of the gatekeepers are more or less what they appear to be at whatever level of the game a player reaches. Some are merely placeholder shadow puppets manipulated by even shadowier puppet masters somewhere in hiding in the castle which because of its strange, porous textile quality seems to always be changing shape. Your real mission, therefore, is to use the goal of performing for the Empress as a means of unveiling level after level of gatekeepers. This gives you some incentive to form alliances with other players, even though you may run the risk of their furtive
0: opposition. Okay.
1: So um, is that clear?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're a Troubadour who wants to perform for the Empress. You're in the house of, or the castle of curtains, I should say, yep. constantly shifting uh, massive material and membrane. And you are, you encounter gatekeepers along the way in this kind of labyrinth, and you can, if you want, form alliances with other characters, although when it comes down to it and they see their opportunity, they might, I don't know, trip you up at a certain point to get, to get their own way. That's right.
1: It it really you could, you know, become an evangelist cult leader crusader gathering a following to make war on these insidious gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. Or you could be eaten alive by your own kind and the gatekeepers mm-hmm. ultimately mm-hmm. try, it, which I think is is kind of an allegory for any participation in the arts and uh Academia and intellectual pursuit, particularly in this day of wokesterism and uh, spiritual middle management.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, So, for the episode today, you sent me a text. So, we will do a text reading. I like this one. Let's see. All right. Notes for 168. We may think of ourselves as lost in the cosmos, but it isn't so. We as earthlings and as individuals intermittently in oscillating tension and harmony move at the heart of the universe and also on its bizarre boundary edge. The key element that creates the coherent possibility of a universe at all. First point first, relativity, physics, and ancient ancient global shamanic cultural wisdom join hands. We can experience the heart of the universe. This is a valid view, a kind of universal moral value. Perception can unite with being, not as a fixed static state, but as a spirit, t- title, treasure, hunting potential. Horizon and home port, quantum uncertainty, quantum opportunity. What about the bewildering boundary edge? We are there too. The great mystery is how intimate the heart of the universe and its boundary edge are. The intimate, as opposed to near or far, may be a clue to rethinking our predicaments. What we don't know about the universe, existence, being, the life that embraces death and change, is a part of the universe, which oddly can't be ignored, subtracted, or excised. It's fundamental and elemental. This ties into both our key points to follow up from last time. The notion of the music before the meaning of language, and more on the swamp versus the memory palace. Watching NFL highlights, I had an interesting thought that relates back to tempo in the phone booth. Attached are two pieces, which we will include in this episode. Maybe one at the maybe frog song at the beginning and the marsh of lost faces during your dream. That might be cool to have it playing during the dream. Okay, uh, so where to start with this? I like the idea of us being at the heart, but also at the boundary. And I'm fascinated by the idea of intimacy as a metric, as a kind of uh, gauge of where where you are. Distance and intimacy, coldness and intimacy, maybe. Although coldness might be confused because of its element of being a temperature, but I'm going to talk about intimacy for a little bit.
1: Um, I'm glad you like that because it's mm-hmm. something
0: that's come up over
1: the last uh, year with me and I've, I've really committed to it as a core idea. Um, I think it, it, of course, has the beautiful, sensual, physical, uh, to some extent, overtly sexual Aspects to it, but I think that when we think of it in sexual terms, it's always more mysterious and and somewhat uh, sacred uh, an experience. I don't think we we really feel that we have it very often. It, it brings to mind some of I think the most beautiful art, you know, pieces of works in in any medium that can somehow in, invite you in. And uh, I mentioned my favorite, I think my favorite quotation of all time from Coleridge. It mingled strangely with my fears. Mm -hmm. It felt like a welcoming. And I I think all of those churn around to uh, a sense of mysterious, magnetic, hypnotic, fascinated attraction that really energizes rather than enervates us and we seek those experiences out and then we can have them in, in in really i think in very micro sort of ways and also you know maybe if we're very very fortunate and and the gods are with us in in very you know profound macro ways but i think it's a much more um tactile and tangible and engaged way of thinking about the kinds of connections that physicists talk about, but that people on our sort of mysterian metaphysics end of the spectrum also talk about. I think it's a meeting ground. And I think it's a connection where um, a lot of what the... um, The theoretical physics of the sixties were trying to do in terms of connecting with Eastern philosophy and religious ideas. Um, It's a movement of convergence rather than division, you know, intimacy is seeking out, uh, you know, connection and, and a kind of uh, a warmth and a possibility. And there's, Lots of interesting things going on there, rather than hard edge divisions. And it uh, it seems to me the the fruitful, hopeful, seeking part of what humanity is still capable of doing. I think we certainly did lose the plot on that from the sixties and seventies. But I think that you and I are 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 kind of examples of neo explorers in that realm and we need to reposition our scientific thinking our logical thinking and also our artistic um non-logical thinking more in terms of physicality and embodiment and and to use that framework um To avoid the ghostliness of virtuality and being lost in systems and machines as opposed to being in the belly of the whale or the dragon, you know, or lost in a woman or lost in, you know, some sort of uh, strange land. All of those are a lot more exciting places to be than in the cogs of a machine, which the 19th century gave us. And we're really struggling to to break free of that. We've just kind of digitized it and cleaned it up a little bit, but it's still kind of, it's even nastier. You know, it really, it seems more pointless and and neutered, you know, it doesn't have the the, the grunt and the clang of machinery. We don't have, uh, I mean, engineers have clean hands now. I mean, that that in mm-hmm. itself is you know, um, is is an awful thing, and you know just one of the things we've talked about with uh, you know a possible class on Sherlock Holmes, for instance. Um, one of the points that that is lost in his literature uh, or or Doyle's work is recognizing occupations by people's hands. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're so white collar and people don't even want to go to work they want to work from home because they're always on their computer you know all of this is i think even more uh it's as burroughs said the soft machine you know it's more gelatinous and glutinous and uh i I think it, it it's even more distasteful than the noise and smoke and uh horror of of 19th century Uh, industrial machine culture in many ways the horror is sort of more uh sanitized but intimacy is a way to break through this with these words that really do powerfully change our thinking and i think it's a perfectly valid way to describe for instance the behavior of electrons you know in an atom i i don't have uh there's really no reason why those aren't completely valid, you know, intimacy in any form where we're talking about the force of gravity, which is kind of the heart and soul of the whole deal and a related, but nonetheless separate force of magnetism. Um, I mean, those are, that's about intimacy, you know, the whole thing works on the basis of intimacy and we, as, as whatever we are within it, or as part of it, as expressions of it, as emblems of it. We need to remember that we are emblems of it and to be more intimate ourselves in our hearts and spirits and minds, and to be more connected and to reach out for intimacy and to embrace it and and not be all wigged out by
0: it, you know? The use of home port and horizon, I think is the key to this because I would encourage listeners to put yourself whether you need to close your eyes or not, but put yourself in a, you know, a small fishing village where everybody knows everybody. Everybody has a role. You've grown up there and you are a young pirate on their way out on their first voyage. And there's a great line in the uh, at the end of the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie when uh, Johnny Depp's character has his, his ship back. And he the last line of the film, I believe, he says, bring me that horizon. Uh, now, the feeling that you get, because we're going on feel here, because you and I are not afraid of feeling, uh, between the home port and the horizon is very similar and that's what i like about intimacy it's because those things feel similar it reminds me of when people say you know the opposite of love isn't hate it's uh, it's indifferent the point of that obviously being that when you feel very much in love and like you very much hate somebody there's a <clears throat> it's not just the intensity of those emotions that are similar they're actually just very similar feeling right? If they were colors, they would be different shades of red or blue. And I think Homeport and Horizon share that kind of, for lack of a better term, I don't know if there are necessarily words for it, but that uh, that that it uh, that aesthetic quality. And so that to me is a real key to understanding the memory palace in the swamp, for example. Um, there are places that you oscillate between, but what it's pushing against is a kind of te- like tethering, being tethered to something or being a yo yo, being sent out and then pulled back and sent out and pulled back. You know what? It just came to me. That's what it is. It's Homeport and Horizon both feel like places that you would want to go. And become intimate with it, not a place that somebody else might want to send you the way that I got sent to AutoZone today to buy a new battery. You know, that's
1: (laughs) well said. Yes, there is a big difference. You're not. Well, you got sort of temporarily exiled. You got dispatched. You know, yeah, Mm -hmm. it was not. I think there's there's a very, very important link between horizon and home port. It isn't just alliteration for the sake of it. I mean, the key to the people who across the human story, and exploration journey is the theme. I just did a, a show up the road in Salt Lake City. And I said, you know, there is no home. We are all travelers. That is the human story right there. Mm-hmm. And we make some good temporary camps. You know, um, but the, the horizon minded person is not someone fleeing from home and responsibility and push reel lawnmowers. Mm-hmm. It's the yeah. same meditation. I mean, 12,000 miles from home, James Cook celebrated Christmas on board the Endeavor with mm-hmm. Cheshire cheese and some porter, you know, ale for the men. Mm-hmm. Just think about, I mean, we think, wow, that's, you know, that's a beautiful thing of, you know, being far from home and yet bringing home with you. Well, the other amazing thing is that he knew what day it was and where he was. Mm-hmm. And we, we forget this, that we know where we are because of an intimacy with the universe There are some people who simply refuse to think of themselves as the universe. They think of themselves ultimately as separate from it. And they often feel overwhelmed and small and kind of paranoid or lonely. But in fact, what they are is making themselves really important to be somehow separate and distinct from what has given them birth and expression. The fruit Mm -hmm. of man and wrinkles in the stars, Dylan Thomas said. We are starlight. That's the physical truth, you know. And we're made of a lot of other cool things, too, if we choose to remember it. And the horizon and home port are an oscillating frequency of search, hope, challenge, crisis, and The people who rise to that, I mean, imagine being with Sir Walter Raleigh on, you know, the banks of the river in Venezuela, and he's dealing Mm -hmm. with electric eels, which are in fact not eels, they're knife fish, Mm -hmm. and, you know, he's got a buckled shoe, he doesn't have, like, you know, some special, you know, trekking shoes that he got online, you know, Mm -hmm. And he's asked, you know, do you think we'll ever get home? And he reaches down, takes the eel, bites its head off, (laughs) and said, I know we will. You know, he wasn't saying there couldn't be storms or there couldn't be, you know, like now, of course, but he was saying, I know where the fuck I am Mm -hmm. and stick with me, lads, and it's going to be okay because it's not just me. It's a it's a mindset Mm -hmm. appreciation Mm -hmm. of knowledge passed down through the starlight and river of blood that we are. And the ability to rise to that occasion of the ancestors, to to be improvisationally alert and alive, and to see the home port in the horizon and vice versa. I had this great moment of a student who is Hispanic very gay, and has some sort of goggle eye kind of mm-hmm. issue, which is obviously something he's dealing with all the time. Mm-hmm. But he is one hell of a writer. And he wrote this, I had them writing a process piece, because my initial claim is that all writing is story, process explanation, or argument. And he was explaining how to make a certain kind of flour as in hibiscus flavor, tacos. And instead of saying, you know, the end was like, well, how much do you add? What do you do? When do you stop? He said, go until the ancestors tell you to stop. Mm -hmm. And everyone went, you know, everybody in the class heard that. I said, you know, what did you hear that was just outstanding that leapt out? And everyone identified that. Go into the ancestors' stop. So it isn't just that these people like Raleigh were, you know, uh, so uh, infatuated with their own knowledge and ability. Not at all. Absolutely not at all. But it is this appreciation of the possibilities of intimacy, sometimes in the most unfamiliar and alien environments. You know, and I think that is the joy of being able to navigate the world with some real innocence, some courage, but also just some excited curiosity. What the fuck's going to happen? And if you have that, then you're braced for, for really anything. So the home port is the horizon. And that is the gorgeous oscillating life form pattern music you know
0: biting the head off a night fish needs to be a segment in the psychic defense manual yeah because i do think that um the way that you encapsulated that i think is perfect i mean i that rings true for me in terms of you know expanding upon it and adding to it i'm thinking about the ways that this can be uh you know put into 2023, you know, where we're at. Um, We've talked before on the show about the fact that, you know, even though there might not be as many physical horizons to go towards, uh, I do, I just love the idea of any situation that you're in, not being worried about it. This is a boring example, but today I gave the pre-ACT and I didn't really know what I was doing. I wasn't Properly prepared for it, and there are were other teachers, newer ones who were sort of frantic and almost shaking with anxiety. And I, they were like, "Do do you got it?" And I said, "I guess I'll, I guess I'll find out, right?" And uh, again, that's a very small example, but I try to do that in life. There's a, uh, you know, a kind of how to win friends and influence people. Uh, thing of of always walking into a room as though you're supposed to be there, and that is keeping the home base and the horizon in you all at once. You're you're just you're there. You're there to be an uh, an interested actor, and you're you're there to pursue intimacy, right? Not sexual intimacy, but you're there to pursue intimacy with your surroundings. To fully, to me, this feels like such a a vitalist type of way to go about living your life where every everywhere you go, whether you're in the jungle or in a school or just in a unfamiliar setting, you you want you're there to become a part of it, you know, soft eyes, watching everything in widescreen, allowing things in waiting a few moments before you speak having your mind going on two tracks. I mean, these are all ways of doing that. And yeah, I, I, I feel like um in order to to make that to make that work, I think that Sir Walter Raleigh would have had to have had this. But <clears throat> I think it's it's very valuable in our in 2023. It's again that has to do with strengthening the memory and the imagination. You have to strengthen memory and the imagination to be able to uh, sort of exist comfortably in a space and have enough control over your mind to to be able to bite the head off of a night fish if you need to. What do you think about that? Yeah. And 2023 in general, I'm curious about your thoughts about this pertaining to the direct sort of lives that we live right now.
1: Well, I think that we're in a really um, a much greater s- state of crisis than I had really recognized when I returned to live in America back in two thousand and twelve. I I was still kind of dealing with a kind of Newtonian. Uh, sense of the crisis, you know, I I really didn't allow for the the tectonic shifting of so many deep grammar values in human existence, and certainly the American social existence. I think the problem is much more severe in America. I really do. Mm -hmm. I think that if one had the means to relocate um i i would really recommend doing that i mean if i had a ton of money i would think about you know what kind of position i could offer your family somewhere overseas i'm not sure where that would be but i would like to you know that's what i would do with with you know a lot of money if i had it Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think America is in an absolutely dire situation. I think that we're heading, to some extent, for artificial reasons, because of the election cycle. And I don't want to dwell on on that temporal level. But I think that if we don't engage with some of the principles that we talk about in our psychic defense approach, some of the things that we're really dwelling on in the show... There are a lot of people who are, in my view, the best people who run the risk of a kind of terminal despair mm-hmm. uh, and a chaos of mind that is completely unnecessary, but it takes an enormous amount of courage, self-discipline, and communalization, strength drawing strength from the intimacy of each other to to find our way to the kind of spirit of a Sir Walter Raleigh. And I mean, there you have someone who explored the world, wrote very fine poetry, was an extremely fine prose writer of his time, was a spy, uh, a man who was adored by women and considered a phenomenal lover, uh, when he he was imprisoned twice in the Tower of London, and he didn't waste that time. He and the Wizard Earl, his good mate, the Wizard Earl of Northumberland, with his very, very remarkable cat, who managed to escape the Tower of London. Uh, They conducted alchemical experiments and were proto-scientists, and finally when Raleigh was going to be executed, he demanded that the executioner hurry up, and his heart was excised and buried in a velvet bag by a woman who had been devoted to him, and we know for a fact that she had to compete for that with three other women who had been passionately in love with him. Now that alone, I think is a remarkable achievement. I mean, I just don't, we we can't even relate to that today. We don't like to talk about relationships between women and men and passion and love. I haven't read a love story that I identify with as a heterosexual male in, I don't know <laughs> when I just, I don't, I don't know of one. Um, right. And I, I think that we're we're struggling to get to the basic platform of mandatory heroism that was once expected. Think about that mandatory heroism that would scare the shit out of anyone today, because most people go, "Oh my god," you know. And we, it, it it's just so insane where we are with mental health crises just through the roof, child obesity. Uh, we've got children now making decisions about gender transition at age eight, maybe even younger, on and on it goes. So I think that what we need to do is to have the courage to admit absolute crisis and to go into red alert planning mode on a spiritual psychological intellectual inner hero level and to channel some of the great figures uh to really channel some to go into the ancestors tell us we need those spirits and this show is all about that i really appreciate that you and, and i have engaged on that level from the very very beginning and we are all just ripples in that same river. We're, you know, manifestations of that. But it's the river that's really important. The river of starlight and bones and and strange creatures from mm-hmm. who knows where, you know.
0: That's awesome. No, that's awesome. I think that um going until the ancestors tell you to stop is a great tip. I think that also, you know, this episode, if there's something that people could take with, I really do want people to reflect on the similarities between the home port and the horizon, that those are not so different. I think practically, and I always feel this way when you and I talk, uh, I think that either Either getting rid of your phone or really buckling down and learning how to use it in a way that can help you be more like Sir Walter Raleigh is, is really important. Because I'm thinking about why don't people, you know, it's like, what would people do in, a, in the Tower of London now? Would they study alchemy or would they, you know, want to play Candy Crush and I I just, I really do think that this age of distraction, maybe we can talk about this next time, but I think that the, uh, I'd like to have a good uh, uh, alternative to cell phone thing. And this is, again, this is the teacher speaking in me, because if there is one thing that I feel like is my enemy when I'm engaging with these children, it is the, uh, I mean, however bad you think it is, it's worse. In terms of how how stuck they are on these phones, and I don't think that they realize, um, you know, how bad that is. And I don't care if that makes me sound like an old man. Um, I, I I think that the complete lack of interest that some of them have in just anything, really anything at all, in, outside of flashing lights, and um, it's keeping them from from thinking about cool stuff right? Because anything that isn't colorful and noisy is, is boring. And um, I don't think it's just a being 16 thing. I think it's a 2023 thing.
1: Oh, it is. And it, it, you know, we're, we're simply not creating the great stories that can, can manage to do a whole bunch of things at once. And I, I think that literature in the past has, I, I was instantly thinking of, of Don Quixote, um, but a beautiful uh, example of the prison in a Soren Kierkegaard sense of, you know, he said like a single spider could be enormously enlightening and entertaining for a solitary prisoner. Uh, one of the most beautiful works of popular, I mean, it's been one of the most successful pieces of literature. Of all time in in many, many media. The Count of Monte Cristo.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I don't know if I, the first time I actually read that, I'd been exposed to it actually by a stupid means of Mr. Magoo, the cartoon mm-hmm.
0: character,
1: mm-hmm. doing a kind mm-hmm. of takeoff on it. And Eugene O'Neill's father uh was in the stage play, which was in a, probably the biggest single success of in a dramatic uh Genre in of nineteenth century theater, and it is it, it, it's a great uh, play. I saw it actually with my mom at Ashland, uh, the original nineteenth century uh, version, which toured through pretty much through the Depression. So from eighteen eighty through nineteen thirties, it was it was one of the staples of of the stage in regional terms. But the novel is is an amazing thing. But the whole uh, Chateau d'If, which is the prison island, uh, that uh Dantes is, is sent to, you know, wrongfully. And then it becomes an a, you know, a revenge. It's the classical mm-hmm. revenge story. But the crucial element is his time on the island uh, as a prisoner, and his total despair. And then he meets his great mentor figure, who mm. opens up all so many doors. He does actually give him access to a phenomenal uh, wealth treasure, but he opens really a treasure house of mind, a treasure Mm -hmm. house of spirit. And it's very much like Raleigh and Northumberland, you know, doing alchemical experiments and having mock sword fights and creating whole new worlds and actually having a tremendously thriving uh, artistic intellectual uh, experience while in the Tower of London, and, you know, mm-hmm. and people today, they need to go off. I heard someone say, I need to go off to somewhere like McDowell or Yad <laughs> get like a break, and it's like, no, you don't. You know, but you probably are, you know, I, I thought to myself, you're exactly the kind of person who will get that little fellowship, you know, and I, I've done a couple of those, and I, I do, I think they do great work, but I don't think you should have to, you know, be in that situation to, to be creative. Uh, I think just the opposite, maybe when your butt's to the wall and you really, you know, faced with some challenges, maybe that is the time that the horizon suddenly opens and you think, aha, you know, the possibilities, mm-hmm. you know, the possibilities and uh We need to get to that mindset, that positivity, that joyfulness, and to encourage that in each other, because we can all get down and, and, you know, really, you know, quite depressed about it, I think, without a little bit of, uh, well, we all need a Wizard Earl or Sir Walter Raleigh, you know, we can't, Mm -hmm. if you were really truly in prison alone, uh, I think that would be very hard, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. no question. And that's the way a lot of people feel today. And I, I think that that the, um, I mean, I'll be unashamed, but I think the, the the so-called progressive movement is out to do that to artists. I think the commercialization, the corporatization of all aspects of culture are there to do that. I think that we're just filled with um, more and more noxious fast food, uh, more and more reasons to not sleep well, to not have good sex, to not be able to concentrate. And it's a total mess that needs nothing short of a, a full scale military uh, <laughs> response on the part of us as individuals. We've got to go swat, and really say, no, this isn't going to happen. No, yep,
0: I agree. I agree, especially when it comes to those phones especially when it comes to those phones. I uh, it, It's it's a little out of control. You want to hear about my, my uh, unveil, the Castle of Curtains? I do. I just
1: want to say one thing about the phone, because uh, I, I meant to say this earlier, because I think you are absolutely right. And this is an example of where we can talk about phones in an emblematic, symbolic sort of sense, but I think that we need to actually remember that we are talking about actual objects and things mm-hmm. And uh, on Monday. I, I actually left, this is very unusual for me, um, but I've got a, a two classes back to back and quite a long traverse between. And for whatever reason, psychological, or just, I don't know, age, I left my phone in the first classroom and mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I thought about going while I had my second class working on their um, morning writing prompt, I thought about going back and I did leave the classroom for a minute or two. And then I realized, no, that's just too long a hike back. I'm just going to let it go. It Mm -hmm. was a beautiful, hot, you know, early autumn day. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to trust that the worst case scenario, I think, really is that someone would find it and take it to the campus police and Mm -hmm. or lost and found and I'd be maybe a couple of hours tracking down where it is. I really didn't think someone would abscond with it forever. I knew that's where it was and Mm -hmm. I just let it go and I think that to some extent what we're talking about with phones and all that they emblematize is really just a kind of meditated but martial arts style relaxation that is quite achievable.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I'm gonna try to leave my phone at least in a drawer tomorrow. And I might in I might instigate some uh some of my classes to do similar things to see if they can put it in their in their backpack. Yeah. Today, just, you know? just
1: just to be a little bit open. You know, just you know, if we can just tinker with some possibilities and not be locked into everything, the moment mm-hmm. we tinker with just a little bit, of, if we substitute one spice that we do have on hand for the one that we would ideally have, just a little bit of improvisation, mix things up a little bit, and then larger possibilities, mm-hmm. larger horizons become something that we're at home with. So, but now yeah. I do want to hear about unveil. I'm sorry. I just wanted to mention that phone thing because it was, it just, it was so, it could have stymied and ruined my whole day. You know, yeah. Yeah. I was on yeah. a and I didn't let it, man. I didn't. I, I thought, nope. no, I'm on a groove here.
0: That's good. Yeah, it's good to be in those grooves. The beginning of the game <clears throat> is much more action oriented. So the first major gatekeeper is called the salamander.
1: Oh, Uh, I love that already.
0: (laughs) And he is a keeper capable of navigating the velvet walls. He's poisonous to the touch. He's got the ability to regrow his limbs. And at this point in the game, when you're fighting the salamander and his minions, uh, it's much more easy to form alliances because you're looking for people whose stats complement each other. You maybe want somebody who can, from a distance, do a little bit of magic or, you know, maybe play a brown note or something that, affects the salamander in such a way so that you can get people who are in there. <laughs> and at this point, though, it is a musically based game, it's much more action. And that is meant to uh, psychologically link people together, right? Cause you, be, you have to find brothers in arms to fight these things. Now, this, now the alliances are also beneficial in terms of navigating the maze because you will send people out on different expeditions through different uh, tunnels. Uh, people will, As they map it, you'll get a group map that you'll be able to see how the maze works. Uh, You'll learn the moods and temperaments of the different fabrics and the different types of music that can charm certain hallways like cobra snakes, right? Like get them to the point where they can... now. I also want there to be mini games in there. I want a lot of the games time to be spent in relatively safe houses or home ports. If you think of away from all the lycanthropy and monsters and ghosts and things like that, where you do create music together, right? This is how you gain experience points. You get it from from fighting, but you you get it more from actually bonding with your people. And that is because the game will become cruel in this way. At a certain point, the game will divide. I'm not necessarily saying that this next gatekeeper is the second, but it's the second in my pitch. There will be other bosses before then. Um, But this is going to be a man, a man in a business suit who looks for all intents and purposes normal, except for the giant goiter growing out of the top of his forehead. Now, what this man does is he lets you know that he has a nice room, a fresh bed, and lots of money. And most importantly, he has a direct line to the Empress. So you've made it this far. And now what he's offering you is that some of you have developed your fighting skills a bit more than the others. Some of you have developed your musical talent a bit more than the others. Those of you who've developed your musical talent, if you want, you can come with me. And you can have a more direct line to the Empress. You don't have to do all this fighting. The only catch is is that you have to play the songs that I want to. And I want these songs for people who take this path to be the most cloying, annoying, punishing songs (laughs) that they have to learn with absolute precision. (laughs) The others can choose to go back to fighting. Um, The game will... um, actually divide uh further still because then it will become apparent that the empress is really only entertaining one group and eventually only one person per game right we'll call it seasons or uh, per per lifetime or whatever there's only one person who's going to make it not one group but one person Now, the final boss that you get to is a child with the ability to explode people's heads if he does not like their music. And the child, importantly, doesn't care one way or the other whether you took the money route or the fighting salamanders route, right? It it doesn't matter to the kid. Uh, You will have to once again team up with these people who have been your enemies and you will have to meld your corporate sensibilities with your salamander fighting grit to craft the perfect song that keeps your heads intact. And then I figure for the final, uh, audience with the Empress, you'll have to have a, a one-on-one dance off or music off or something like that.
1: Oh man, I think you should really, uh, draft that up. I mean, it, it, You've got a real insight into the video game uh, architecture, musicality that I don't have. That you really picked up on the best of, of the premises there. I, I love so many. I love the salamander, but I I love the feel of it. There's a kind of. Um, well, not the Tibetan book of the dead, but more the Egyptian book of the dead sort of groove to this, that that then finds its way into very sort of popular forms and references that I think could be really uh, resonant and popular with a lot of mm-hmm. people. I think there would be, you know, people out there wanting to play a game with that kind of, you know, edge mm-hmm.
0: to it. Yeah, and I, Unveil is a really cool title too. I think people would, that would get their ears perked up. But yeah, no, I'm glad you dug that. Uh, that was a that was a great prompt. I'm very interested in your tool and tip this week. Okay, okay. Got my card here. All right.
1: Well, I think listeners would have heard of um, certainly one of my favorite writers, the late Walker Percy, um, a novelist um, in a philosophical vein. Uh, probably most famous for his National Book Award book, The Moviegoer. But he wrote a lot of, uh, I think, five, I think, very interesting novels that kind of take an American sort of uh, angle on Sartre and uh, some some very philosophical questions. But he also wrote nonfiction and he also wrote about linguistics. Beautiful book called The Message in the Bottle, which I highly recommend. series of independent essays. And in that book, he's really like uh, the neuroscientist, Lewis Thomas, who is also just a beautiful prose writer and just very curious and amongst many other interests is, is very interested in the language. But early in the, the, the message in the bottle, he goes on this wonderful rant about what happened to the people known as the Hittites. Where are the Hittites? Show me one Hittite, as he says. It's hilarious. Well, the question I have is, what happened to the Visigoths? Every so often in my reading, they pop up. And this last time, which was the last couple of days, I realized I don't really know anything about them. I've come across that name hundreds of times. I'm not sure how many. I could babble, I think, for a few seconds, but it would be grossly inaccurate by even superficial standards. I really don't know the time frame. Uh, I have some idea of the geography that we associate with the people known as the Visigoths. Did they call themselves that? I don't know that necessarily. Hmm. But anything I would say would reveal still further ripples of ignorance. And this ties back to our swamp idea of all the things that we don't know. And this strange category that we think we are in control with of, of all of the universe that doesn't make sense to us. And I think that we're going to have to keep exploring this because there's just so much to it. Um, but I, The images that came to mind are sort of dirty windows that you can't see through, vague, incomplete vegetative forms, dates and numbers, like oxidizing keys that have outlasted their locks or doors. But my tool is this. Take Visigoth, purely as emblematic of words, terms, categories, and whole subjects, that you've heard about many times and simply never engaged with,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> choose one. Be alert to this. The next one that you encounter, for whatever reason, and just do a, some research. Draw a line in the sand and say, "Look, I'm going to actually find out something about these goddamn Visigoth people. Who who were they? What was going on? What what you know? What was it about?" Just follow up the links and leads on a very superficial superficial basis about one of these emblematic uh, totems of ignorance. And I guarantee you now, you will be surprised. I guarantee you will have pulled on a thread that has a kind of musical harmonic resonant quality that will send out sort of triggering vibrations. That will surprise you.
0: A good one, I think, is uh, why is that street called that?
1: Yes. That's a, you know, this is what we're, t- you know, this is the the finding the Raleigh in the everyday of not needing to go off on these gigantic NASA-style sort of to-the-moon expeditions to, to really get curious about the world the entire this is the heart of the universe and the edge of the universe are intimately connected Mm
0: -hmm. we're there
1: we're we're but we've got no reason to not be incredibly excited we are at the heart of the universe and at its edge and if we can just remember that and have the energy the heart the courage the balls to really embrace that and engage with it then who knows where things lead it's yes why is the street called that and it relates back to our vocabulary that we're teaching students every everything is connected by the gravity of ideas spirit and intellectual matter you know
0: every Every day these yeah every day these kids walk by a, a cabinet full of trophies and a fun exercise might be go to that trophy pick out a name you have the internet research whatever happened to that person what what happened like there's a plaque on a wall with a name on it and some dates what's it there for why is it like that yeah you can do that historically as well closer to the actual visigoth investigation but it's also seems to me to be very cool to be like why uh for example Why is there an aqueduct behind my house? What's the, what's the reason for that, right? Why put it there? You know Uh, what's the engineering principle that made them put that there or what is the uh, architectural principle of, of ending streets and cul-de-sacs? Why not just end like, why, why, why close is it to close it off necessarily? Well, why not close it off with woods or why not end the street, with a i don't know with just a thicket you know what's what's with the what's with that design you know and why stop there right why not keep stretching neighborhoods out um see this is once... the nature of education in true terms mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the moment
1: someone gets really addicted to that kind of curiosity and the 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 possibility of engaging with the world on their own terms, rather than forever being a passive spectator or machine like mule within some sort of dreadful uh, system, they feel they can decode the world and be part of it. And they feel more comprehensible to themselves. And there's an active, potent engagement with possibility that Otherwise, the swamp of the unknown just gets swampier and Mm -hmm. grows more completely. And it becomes vaguer and vaguer too. Instead of really having beautiful cypress knees and lost rusted cars and strange skeletons and fossil forms and all sorts of weird people living on the other side of you know, the cattail marshes and giant dragon, all sorts of things that might be animate and really cool, it becomes just a a vague zone of real, just death and impotence, you know, just not connecting with the world, not being an active, magical part of the ceremony, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What a terrible thing to be.
0: Indeed. Indeed. I feel
1: suicidal too, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been thinking more and more often <laughs> that being suicidal is a completely legitimate response to an unquestioned existence in 2023. It makes total sense to me. I personally wouldn't do it, but I get it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a kind of um it's an illogical logical extension, you know? Mm-hmm. It just it becomes almost metabolically inevitable. Um, but there are lots of choices along that way. And not to say that su- every suicide is the same. I mean, I think there are a lot of very legitimate suicides for very courageous reasons, you know, when you just run out mm-hmm. of, you know, healthy diagnosis, for instance. Um, but here's my tip, and I'm going back to basics. Um, and I do want to review some some basics for a moment. I'll just introduce a couple of things. I've, I've been thinking about, um, a couple of things that I've I've said, you know, or thought about, or written in my life, and I revisited one from uh, Private Midnight about the reason why most marriages—and I think you could say love relationships it doesn't have to be a formal marriage—the reason why most of them fail is they aren't conspiratorial enough. I think I wrote that back in 2008, and I think that is still one of the, my finest insights. I mm. think that's a beautiful way to put it, and I'm very, I, 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 I feel good about that. I think it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing, a simpler, uh, very different level, which I said on the show once, but I, I hear myself, and I saying, and I live it because it's a very common kitchen level. Uh, idea. Don't forget the stove, but don't cook for the stove. And I think anybody who um, has ever does, you know, it, it makes a habit of regular cooking, which I think a lot of us do now for financial reasons, if nothing else, it's very easy to suddenly get panicky and suddenly think that you're kind of serving the stove and you realize, wait a minute, just turn down the heat. You can probably mm-hmm. manage everything, you know, don't, don't panic. Um, the third thing is, is a question, which I, I will continue to pursue uh, is forgetting actually a process. And I think that is a a, a, a question that has any number of uh, it's a hallway with many doors, but my, my tip for this time is is something I think we have talked about. Everyone really does need a magic pen. And I am holding up my Rotring or Rotring 800, beautifully designed. It's so satisfying to hold. It is just, I don't write everything with it, but I just have it nearby to look at. I love holding it, I just feel good about it. Everyone needs a magic pen artistic tool it's also i think we need to say related to the penis and to penetration we can talk about these things which on the Jungian level everyone should connect with because it's representative of the animus spirit part of the mythos roots of creativity at large is connecting animus and anima you know the theme- mm-hmm associations of anima are part of us too we need to to get with that and um, I think it's kind of shameful and and foolish and typical of the uh, the obese indulgent cowardice of our time that we are able to talk more about uh, very grotesque assertions of apparent sexuality and yet we really struggle with the archetypal and mythic uh, levels which are I think deeply ingrained in all of us we are the embodiments of it and yet when people like Jordan Peterson come along to talk about some very fundamental principles of you know Jung's philosophy going back to the Greeks and their world cultural traditions we panic and freak out you know but it's quite all right to see someone who really is not just plus size but disgustingly large twerking as a body positive thing and yet if we talk about male and female sexual principles in an archetypal sense uh many people just panic and think well well, that's that's too you know too weird too smart for me no it's not it's something that's you know just there you know Mm -hmm. it's there Mm -hmm. i mean you look at an electric outlet i mean it it there's a female quality to that i'm sorry and there's a male Mm -hmm. quality to the book and that's what we call it you know it's just we're somehow still retaining a, a degree of juvenile uh immaturity in the face of anything to do with uh sexual mythos and i think that's one of the reasons why the whole gender fluidity thing upsets me because i don't think we're being very sincere about it really an adult in a totality sense i think we fixate on little bits of it and those just exaggerate the juvenile puerile problems in my view
0: an opposite of empathy or not the opposite of intimacy yeah totally an opposite of imp- intimacy it's uh i keep wanting to say empathy which is not the word i'm looking for uh but the opposite of intimacy is a profanation um vulgarity uh, there's no home port like it, it <clears throat> again, and I think it's important to make this this move in this show at a certain point because at a certain point we're we can't go further until we start using some of this you know beautiful language that you use. To uh, bring back what you said, uh, the most profound way to change your life is to change the way you speak and communicate, but a feeling of there being no home port or horizon when we discuss these things, right? These kind of more profaned aspects of our culture, right? It doesn't feel like home. And that's why so many of these people, no matter what they do, no matter how much they Kick and scream and try to get their way and I'm talking very specifically about you know people who have self-diagnosed mental illnesses like depression and anxiety and ADHD. they never feel like they're at home right because they're not at home and they're not on a horizon anywhere. They're not exploring anything. No, no you know um, and it's it's at the level of feeling. Again, if you sit with things and you think about them and you feel them, I don't want you to think about them in terms of what you think politically or uh, in terms of an argument you had with your father four years ago. But just let those ideas sit and what feelings come along with them. And you'll suddenly know where the ancestors want you to stop.
1: Right. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. nice. That's nice. Mm. oh i I, and, uh, I think this is a, a good riff this makes this brings a lot of things into focus for me and um i hope for listeners too i think you're you're uh you've done some good uh synthesizing work there that that brings um well i you know if, if people could really understand that the the oscillating intimacy between the home port and the horizon then i think we really are getting somewhere
0: i think so too I absolutely yeah. do. I think that's an important step forward. Have you been dreaming, sir? I have.
1: And I, the first, this is again, a kind of, um, investigation, although of course, not intentional of my, um, my theory that dreams oscillate between the emblematic as in very, uh, totemic image focused to at the other extreme, uh, a kind of, complexity of narrative that um, takes the form of, of, of ceremony so we have emblem and ceremony as kind of a model for uh, a spectrum of, of understanding dreams I had one where and this is uh I I've I've really struggled to look through my dream index to see if I in fact have even uh, really had this dream before, but whether or not I've mentioned it on the show, because I had a very strange sense of dream deja vu. The mm. situation image is a giant miniature golf course. In other words, the environment, the situation, the context is, uh in architectural terms, like a miniature golf course, very overstated, uh, over the top. But it's giant and humans are small on its on scale and it's a kind of hell and the the task is to forever be playing you can never escape and each hole if you like in this miniature golf course has the potential to destroy you in quite uh painful and and discouraging ways but you will reappear and have to face these challenges again so it's kind of dante meets a giant demonic las vegas uh miniature golf eternity of frustration bewilderment and outright uh terrifying risk now does that ring any bells to you
0: In terms of dreams that you've had, I might have mentioned, yeah. I have
1: to admit, I'm flummoxed. I had an acute uh, early morning sense of deja vu. I did not find a reference to this as specific, I think it's fairly specific. Really, I did not find a reference to this in any of my dream records, although I'm certain there have been variations on it. But it occurred to me that even the most faithful recording processes uh, regarding dreams can fail greatly.
0: Mm. I'll have to think about that. That's that's interesting to me. Because probably obliquely. If not exactly there's something, there's there's more than likely something there.
1: Well, I think there, there's something connected. And I, I it may have, um, and this connects back to our discussions about an experiment with time, J.W. Dunn's book from last episode of where what we perceive as deja vu, the past experience, is a kind of memory <laughs> of looking forward imagine mm-hmm, it's a memory mm-hmm. of an imagined future but mm-hmm. after i dealt with the fact that i couldn't find a specific mention of a giant miniature golf course as hell idea which i think is uh, you know that, that that's a, a coherent thought it could be art directed in a million different ways but i think it's there with some coherence i wrote this down we are hard pressed to really define the notion of motif. We seem to be talking about some kind of platonic form, an ideal scenario pattern we take to be consistent and coherent enough to underlie many situations, yet which is absolutely dependent upon specific executions and appearances to manifest or be thought of at all. Without an example, a motif, any motif, is an empty idea, a ghostly category lying in the weird cacti, sculptured bones, and abandoned boxes of the dusk in the Badlands realm we've outlined as all the things you don't know. And I think that's really an important question of how many completely empty, ghostly uh, non-categories we accept as categories and that through sensuality, intimacy and the love of language and physicality and a lost explorer's mindset of just getting out into ourselves as well as the universe, we can maybe make some of these phantom Mm. categories. Can fill in the motifs.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Man, that's awesome. That's such a practical and interesting way to think about everything that we're talking about too. And I love the connection between physical engagement with the world and a kind of, and that being the missing puzzle piece of your, like your deja vu dream could potentially have been sort of uh it's not vuja day, but like the opposite, right? Like it's a, it's a premonition of a future in which you will fill in the motif.
1: Right. To, exactly yeah. Yeah.
0: exactly yeah. Like exactly
1: that. that's cool And w- that's we need cool. friends like you to, to grasp the subtlety of that it is concrete and simple and sort of wood away because once you've said it back to me like that what was a vague and disconcerting but deeply intriguing psychic experience becomes something that i can actually really handle and use and and feel at home with, you know.
0: Man, what if that extends to waking deja vu as well?
1: I I absolutely think it must be considered. It must. And there's a whole world there to be explored. Talk about horizon, you know.
0: I've got all my notes. I'm gonna I'm gonna be studying these notes tomorrow. Because i've been writing down things that you've said in a kind of note taking way but also in a not as um strict not with the intention of necessarily solidly rendering your ideas down on these index cards but in a more impressionistic way and i'm going to I think that's tomorrow. the only way
1: to do it i think that's the only way to do it um And the other dream element I I wanted to mention because I think it will also resonate with you is extremely focused in terms of an image uh, and an absolute emblematic experience. It is a glass. You know, it's interesting. You reach a point where but it's made of plastic. And that got me thinking about the strange nature of wine because you can have a cup and a mug, right? Coffee cup and a coffee mug, but there's a certain size glass that is just, I don't know another word for it, even if it's not made of glass, but this is a blue green plastic uh, glass. So, you know, a lot of people start having plastic things when they have kids this is too big for that to be the explanation now i don't know my first thought was that this was something that was at my father's place and that i associated it with those early moments of the divorce of going to visit him on the weekends and that also it might have been connected with his third wife which would be much later in the piece. So I'm already unmoored in time. And yet this object, remain, this emblem, remains magically real and, and very powerful. And I know that I can hear the whisper and, and hiss of Coke with ice in it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a big Coke drinker so that also unmoors me in time but the emblem is all the more real it's it's more real than my whole life because it it transcends these time barriers now i had such a involvement and intimacy with it i'm going to try to get my mother to she's back home from the rehab facility 95 I'm going to try to get her to look in her cupboard where she has her to see if it's there. Cause I want to just eliminate that possibility. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I I really do. My first intuition is it has something to do with my father and those moments of seeing him living alone and being with him on the weekend and the broken family. But I don't know if I'll resolve it, but I know that the emblematic power of this object is more mysterious and more authentic than any frame that I can apply to it that it has moved outside of time. And in a way it offers me the possibility to do that. My first thought was just real frustration and just, I was really scratching my head thinking, how can I have this powerful, uh, it's not a memory. It's a living thing. I, I can feel it. I can tell you what the thing smells like, whether there's any fluid in it or not. But I certainly can tell you about the Coca-Cola and the ice cubes. And the fact that I can't locate that in a historic moment in my time frame, my family, my, that to me just makes it all the more powerful and magical. And I think if we can just relax, our need for uh, being in control of these timelines and frames and celebrate these magical emblems and listen to them because there's something powerful that's going on there in me um because it's completely unaccountable. I mean, it isn't something that that I had as a, a, a child. It wasn't my favorite toy. It wasn't, you know, it doesn't have that level of significance. It just is. It just it is. is. Yeah. It's it's, it the just home, is. it's the
0: home port and the horizon at the same time. It's yes. the boundary and the internal. I also uh, am compelled by the fact that <clears throat> you stated about the plastic glass that you don't know what else to call it. It's plastic but you call it a glass for lack of a better term. Yeah, That is a representative of things that are just called that for lack of a better term, such as a relationship with a father seems to me to really work internally and externally, but the oscillation between the boundaries to the point that the harmonic thrumming is such that they're almost transparencies on top of each other. That's what it seems like to me. It seems seems like it seems like all one thing. And I'm along with describing things um, in terms of sense. I'm becoming a big fan of this concept of there just being some things that just are. It just is. And what you're describing to me is a thing that is. And it's really fucking cool that it's a dream object That is, right. I mean, that to me is all the scientific proof that I need to know that archetypes are real. Yes, emblems are real. You know why are they real? Because the way that Chris just described that it's that's real, and it's just a thing that is. No, it's an atom. It is not furtherly uh, divisible into component parts. Well said.
1: Well said.
0: I love that line, harmonic thrumming.
1: Thrumming is a beautiful, beautiful verb there. Wow.
0: Indeed. Indeed. Well, that was cool. I like how in this show, different segments pop different. You know, this is a much more, I think, a dream. I feel like we popped more here at the end. Sometimes we pop at the imaginative challenge. Sometimes it's all the way at the beginning with your band and aphorism but the beauty of the segments is that something uh, really catches. And I think that's what really caught. That's fascinating to me. I like that. Thank you for your time, sir. Thank you. Yeah, everybody for well, listening. Listen, Thank you. And I, I
1: think you were popping the whole time. I, I really enjoy this so deeply. And this is, I think such a performance and a reassurance of some real true and uh, magic navigational aids to the bizarre crises that we face today. So thank you. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed this. I'm gonna go off. I I have to get up at four in the morning to get ready for you know teaching and to leave in the driving and stuff. So but this really charges me up. So I really feel good about that. And thank you listeners. We're we're grateful. We're steaming ahead towards 200 episodes and we have no sign of uh, the inquiry will continue.